Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here. So glad that you're there, whichever campus you're watching this on. If you're online, we know you're there. And uh, man, it's just good to be together. Hey, so here's the deal. I'm going to ask you to get the book of James out, uh, which means open your Bible, bring a Bible when you come to Central. We will use it, and uh, we want to make sure that we get to know it. And while you're finding the book of James, and again, you can have a physical Bible, you can do it on an iPad or a phone or whatever, just don't don't check your email, okay? That's the deal. Um, but I want to ask you a question. How, how do you handle conflict in your life? How do you handle conflict? Are you the kind of person that runs away from conflict? Like you're conflict adverse, man, anything, but I just don't want to have any conflict. Or are you the kind of person you feel like, okay, uh, you know, like you feel like you're, you're equipped. I'll tell you how you know if you're good at conflict or not is if you have a whole bunch of shattered relationships behind you, um, you're probably not really good at handling conflict, okay? Uh, meaning that uh, when you have a conflict, there's one of two ways it's going to go, and it always goes one of two ways. You're either going to get closer to the person or you're going to get farther from the person. Now, nobody can live conflict-free, and you can't. Everybody's got broken relationships behind them, so I'm not trying to lay that on anybody. But I do want to cause you to think about, how, like, when you get in a conflict, do you feel like you're wise in the way that you handle it? Now, we're going to be in James in just a minute, but there's a story in the Old Testament that I just want to actually want to read to you, if you'll allow me. It's, it's a story of conflict and a story of wisdom, and it's just a unique kind of story. So if you'll bear with me, I'm actually going to read this from the Bible. It comes from 1 uh, uh, Samuel 25, and uh, it's about David, King David, before he's king, and he's... Uh, He's got a situation that arises. And so I, I want to read this. I, I'm putting the text up there, not because you need to follow. I promise you I will not make stuff up as I'm reading. You can trust me. But uh, if you want to follow up on this story, here's, here's where I'm reading from. I'm in uh, 1 Samuel 25. Now, a certain man in Maon um, who, uh, who had property there in, at Carmel was very wealthy. First thing you need to know about the guy we're going to talk about, loaded Okay, guy had cash, had bank, all right? Yeah, he was very, he wasn't pretty well off. He wasn't doing okay for himself. He was very wealthy. You need to understand that. It's going to play into the story. Now, how wealthy? He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. You got to understand that that day, that was your bank account, that was your portfolio, that was your retirement, which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, Carmel is a place, uh, but what it's saying is it's harvest time. It's payday. It, it's the time we're going to make money off our, our investments. Now, this guy's name that I'm talking about, this very wealthy man, his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. So you got to make a middle note of Nabal and Abigail, all right? And uh, it tells us a little bit about her. She was an intelligent, isn't that interesting? The Bible would just like, she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. That's what it says. Brilliant woman, all right? Beautiful woman. But her husband, Nabal, now this is what it says of him. She was intelligent and beautiful. He was mean and surly. Okay? He was mean and surly. He, he was not a pleasant guy to be around. This guy was not, uh, but it then says he was a Calebite. Literally, look in your Bible if you want to. A Calebite. 
from the family of Caleb. You know anyone named Caleb? Mean and surly? Does this ring a bell? I'm just saying. You got passed down through generations, apparently. I don't know. It just, anyway. Okay, now here, here we get to the story. Now you got the setting, all right? Now, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. All right, it's harvest time. So he sent um, 10 young men to, and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. All right. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and to your household and good health to all that is yours. Nabal, I wish nothing but the best for you. Now, I hear that uh, it's sheep shearing time when your shepherds were with us, your shepherds that took care of those sheep. Now, listen carefully. We did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were uh, at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. David's going, hey, dude, just so you know, we watched over your, your guys. You, we watched over your sheep. We took care of you, all right? And uh, nothing was missing. We stole nothing. Took none of, we raided none of your camps. Okay, we took none of your animals. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. So therefore, uh, my, my request is be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Dude, it's harvest, and you're loaded. You got plenty Please give your servant and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. Hey, would you just take care of my guys? They took care of you. Would you take care of them? When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David and who is the son of Jesse? David is the son of Jesse. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Let me translate for you if you're not following. Uh, Nabal's response was, get lost. Get lost. Get out of my place. Get out of my face. All right? David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. He said to get lost. He told us that he didn't give a flying flip about who you are and what you've done for him. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. Any guess where this is going? Any guess? So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. I need you to understand, these are not... These are... These are warriors. These are fighters. These are guys, they're armed, okay? They're like, it's not going to be good. Uh, one of the servants, all right, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, hey, I just need you to understand. David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet yeah, these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Now, night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our, our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man, that Caleb guy, anyway, um, <laughs> that no one can talk to him. He won't listen to anyone. Abigail, do something. We're, we're, we're in serious trouble because of your husband. Now, this is where it goes good. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, which she just had laying around. I don't know. Two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. 
Okay, please understand, he was very wealthy. This was a rounding error in their portfolio. That's all it was. It was this is nothing, all right? This is all Nabal would have had to do, but he's not willing to do that. So anyway, um, and, 200, uh, and, and then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Why did she not tell her husband Nabal? Why? He, he would have stopped her somehow. He, he would have headed this thing up. We are not giving this to David. Forget it. I don't know who he is. I don't care. Um, so as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. Can you imagine? Here's this lady on a donkey. She's going to head this thing off. Here come these 400 guys, you know, armed to the hilt and ready to fight. And uh, so they're coming down. Uh, David had just said to his guys, it's been useless on my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that none of his was missing he paid me back evil for good. May, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. He's hacked off. You get it? He's going to set the He is going to wreak vengeance on Nabal and his family. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. And hear, hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. This is her husband, all right? Um, he is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. So the family of Caleb, I mean, come on. Um, that, okay, I added that, all right? I, I, just, I feel the need to confess, all right? Um, anyway. Uh, and as for me, your servant, I, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, David, please, please forgive us. Forgive, please overlook this. If you don't overlook this and, and all you do is seek vengeance, you're going to feel really good for the next few moments. And then the rest of your life, you're going to realize you slaughtered an entire family. Please, David, don't do that. So she puts it down there. She says, please forgive your servant's presumption. Please, please, please. And it gets down here and says, there's just no reason for this bloodshed. So she is doing her best to persuade David. Let this go, please. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. I, I kind of jumped down here if you didn't know. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive today. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. I'm overlooking this. You, it's, we're good. We're good. We're good. <clears throat> so you think the story's over, but it's not. Because then Abigail goes back home and uh, she's going to have a conversation with Nabal. All right. Now, let me show you how this goes. I'm actually going to bring this up on the screen so you can see it. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He's oblivious. He has no idea 
what just about happened. He was in high spirits and very drunk. How hard would it have been to get Nabal killed? I mean, how hard would this been? All right. Um, so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Now, I think that's, again, that's an act of wisdom. I could explain this all to you, David, uh, what David just, uh, right outside, 400 guys, they're armed. They came to slaughter you, but he would remember none of it because he's drunk. So she waits until the morning, till they sober. And then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. What does that mean? He literally had a heart attack. Like when he understood, they were right out there. They were, they, swords were, they were ready to slaughter us. And then all of a sudden, he gets a revelation of like, the seriousness of this. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Wow. Now, the reason I'm reading that story is you can't fail to see the conflict. And I don't think you could fail to see the wisdom of this woman named Abigail. She, she had to think fast. She had to be resourceful. She had to like make it happen. Like now we don't have a lot of time. Have you ever found yourself in a dilemma where you needed a solution? You needed an answer. You needed to know what to do. And you really didn't know what to do. We've all been there. We've all been there. And, and you go, man, if, I, if I'm not careful, I'm only going to make the situation worse. And realize she made the situation, the problem, go away. Now, with that backdrop, let's jump into the book of James. <clears throat> and now we're going to understand something where I think where James is going to take us, right? We're in James because we're in a series in James, which we've been in for a couple months now. It's all about living a genuine life. How do you live a life that's for real? Our text today is going to be James chapter 3. Not many verses, just 13 to 18, and that's not much. And so we'll tackle that in just a second. Before we get there, though, I want to remind you of something James has already told us. We've already learned this in the book of James, all right? Um, James 1.5, I'll show it to you on the screen here. James 1.5 said, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So when you're in a conflict and you don't know what to do, I don't know, should I go this, should I do that, should I this, should I that? James says you should ask God. God will give you this wisdom, which will help you handle whatever, the conflict or whatever you're dealing with. Now, you need to understand a couple things about what James 1.5 is saying. It is a direction for us to turn. When you don't know what to do, look up. Look up. I don't know how to, look up, okay, is a direction to turn. It's a declaration to embrace and it's a promise to claim. God, God goes out on a limb. He says, listen, if you lack wisdom, ask me, I'll help you. Now, you, I would suggest you take God at his word at this. I think he knows what he's talking about. This reminded me as I was writing this message of another passage that I love. I've loved this passage for years in my life. I mean, I, I attach memories to this passage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's so worth knowing. It's so worth memorizing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. When you don't know what to do, turn to God. So literally, trusting God. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God. And uh, there's a key word in there that I think you need to see. Submit to him. Submit to him. What does that mean? To submit means to come under the authority of someone. Submit to him and uh, do what he says. He'll give you the answer. Just submit to him. And if you're not getting the point, let me make sure, okay, that we're all good. Um, if you want or need wisdom, turn to God and he'll give it to you. That's the point that he's trying to get across here. 
Turn to God. But, but here's something I want to wrestle with. How will you know that God is the one telling you you ought to do what he's, you think he's telling you to do? This is the big question. Any one of us are smart enough to rationalize anything I want to do in a response and convince myself and then maybe others that God told me to do that. That I was listening to God. He told me to strike your face with my fist. That's what he told me to do. And I'm telling you, God told me to do that. How would you know if you're actually hearing from God that the answer is from him and not something else? And that is what James is going to address in our passage right now. So let's read the passage. We'll read it uh, in its entirety, get a 50,000 foot look at it, and then we'll fly a little closer to the hills and see what's actually on them. All right. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now, I want to stop right here. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, do not boast about it or deny it. Don't go to the extremes, is what he's saying. Now, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Now catch this last line. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, there is so much in here. I want us to, again, drop in altitude. I want to show you this a little closer. And I want us to think about certain words that are in here, okay? So let's just go back. And again, I'm going to move fast, all right? James 3.13. Here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among us? Who's the wise ones? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Here's what I can tell you. Uh, Living as much life as I lived, here's what I can tell you. Every one of us thinks we're wise, Every one of us thinks we're wiser than everyone else. Everyone else, uh, everyone else has not like got what we got. And it's just, so we, there's a self-serving bias. We, we're, we're better than the average wise, we're wiser than most. That's the idea. And here's the first thing to learn from this. One of the, one of the first acts of foolishness is to think that you're one of the wisest people around. Now you understand what I just said? It's one of the foolish, more foolish things that you could think is that you have a, a super dose of wisdom. So immediately, I want to say this. The more you think you're wise, the more you really want to listen carefully to, to what James is going to tell us. He gives us two insights. Did you see them? Wise people, if you're really wise, you lead a good life. And wise people demonstrate their wisdom by their deeds. And then he uses this phrase. I find this phrase fascinating. I've stared at this phrase quite a bit. He talks about the humility that comes from wisdom. The humility that comes from wisdom. What is, what does wisdom and humility have to do with one another? And what does this have to do with conflict? The wisdom that comes from humility. Could it be that true wisdom makes you humble? Not arrogant? That true wisdom means that you're not too proud to ask for help? That 
true wisdom means that you're willing to do something a way that nobody else around you would be willing to do? You'd handle it differently? You'd think differently? That the wisest among us that might have a, a humility about them. And by the way, what exactly is humility? Here's another thing. See, now listen carefully. Most of us would say we're, don't miss this. We are wiser than most and we're more humble than most. We give ourselves passes on these all the time. I'm incredibly wise and I'm incredibly humble. What does it mean to be humble? Thinking badly about yourself? Thinking that you're not good at anything? Is that humble? Humility? Thinking that everyone's better than you? Is that humility? I love this definition. I don't know who to credit it to. It's been around forever. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Well, we always have a tendency to put ourselves in the middle and, and like we're just going to work out of what's like in our best interest. Okay. Humility is the willingness to get yourself out of the middle and actually focus on somebody else. All right. But, but all of us, like, come on, I'm more humble than most. I mean, you surely know that. We all think that. I, I heard about a church that wanted to honor their pastor. They were so proud of him because they, they just felt like, man, this guy, seriously, you talk to him, he's just, he never thinks he's so humble. And so to honor him, they decided they wanted to give him a medal with that kind of moniker on it. And so they gave him a big medal, and it said, to the world's most humble pastor. And he just got teary-eyed when he saw it. He says, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Then he put it on. They took it back. Because if you're humble, you don't wear a medal telling people you're humble. You don't do that. But how do I know I'm humble? What does it mean to be humble? How do I put this together? And here, here's what I would, I would tell you. There's a couple of verses in our church that we, we literally hammer on these verses. If, you, if these verses repulse you, you will not like this church, I promise you. Because we try to take these verses and go, how do we live this out? And we are not good at it, just for the record. So no one's bragging. But we ask ourselves these questions. So let me remind you, and again, for some of you, this might be new. Others, you go, I hear this here all the time. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Well, what's he saying? It cannot be about you. If everything you think about is about you, you are not following on the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus said you got to die to you. Jesus said you got to humble yourself and become a follower, a learner, that you got to take direction from somebody else, not yourself. And, and, and it's just one of the hardest things for us to do. We just go, no, I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need your direction. I'm not going to submit to you. The other verse that we talk about all the time is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, w wisdom is when you understand there's more to life than you. Now, here's the thing I can tell you. There's only, there's only two kinds of people that are going to understand those two verses I just read. Wise people and humble people. That's it. 
Only wise people, the only humble people are going to go, okay, I see, I see. Others first, others before me. And I want to just drop here an idea that I want you to think about. Humility, this is the big idea of this message. Humility is the process, or let me change it, maybe the pathway, just so we're on the same page, to acquiring the wisdom of God. If you're not humble, you will never receive what God wants to give you, which if you lack wisdom, ask. I'm not asking. It takes humility to ask. It takes humility to interpret what God is telling you to do when you're in the midst of that conflict. Let me, let me jump on. Let's get going. Uh, James, the next verses, James 14 through 16. Now, and I want you to see this. What he's going to do here, I want you to pick this up. He's going to talk about two kinds of wisdom. There is a worldly wisdom that everybody of the world follows, and then there is a godly or heavenly wisdom, which only wise, humble people will pick up. All right, let me show you. So this is the worldly wisdom, James 3, 14 through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, did that cause a conflict? Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There's a wisdom from God, and then there's a wisdom that the world has. It's not of God. It's just two things you got to guard yourself against. Did you see them? Bitter envy. Bitter envy. What is bitter envy? What is envy? And then what do you, when you intensify it, Make bitter. What is, is envy like jealousy? And the answer is no. Jealousy is I want what you have. Envy is like I want to take away what you have. I, I don't want you to have what you have. Envy is looking at the other person and you're focused on them and what they have and, and, and you, you don't want them to have it. Rick Warren uh, said it this way. Envy is resenting God's goodness to others. And ignoring God's goodness to me. Envy always puts your eyes on somebody else. And uh, I don't want them to have that. So worldly wisdom is about bitter envy. I don't want you to have what you have. And selfish ambition. Isn't it interesting? Selfish ambition, those words don't go together in our culture. If I say selfish would be another one. I'm not selfish. We'd all go, I don't want to be selfish. We got that. But ambition is good. Ambition. That's how you go somewhere. That's how you rise up the corporate ladder. I need ambition. We detest selfishness and we adore ambition. What happens when you put those together? James is going, that's a dangerous mix. Selfish ambition is when all you think about is what you want to get out of it. What's in it for me? And the question is, is what, what danger do you put yourself in when you do that? What will you sacrifice so that you get your ambition? Would you sacrifice your character? Would you sacrifice your family? Would you sacrifice your health? Selfish ambition is when it's all about you and bitter envy is when it can't be about them. So these two exist. James says it so clearly. You're going to have, you're going to have chaos and they are not from God. He says these two things are earthly, unspiritual and demonic. And the more you have those things, Bitter envy and selfish ambition, the more you don't have the wisdom that God has. But what about this wisdom that God has? Talk to me about that. That's what I want. That's what you want. The wisdom from God. What is that about? Look at James 3.17. 
But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. It's interesting because we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5, you remember we spent last summer, a couple summers ago, went through each of those. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that. These are like the wisdom. The wisdom of God hangs like pearls strung together. And when you see these, you know what you're dealing with. He uses eight words. Let me, let me just make sure you see them. Wisdom from heaven. If it's coming from God, it's going to be these things. Pure. Not defiled. It, it's not. It, it would stand in the presence of God. It's going to be pure. It's going to be peace-loving. If, if it's not peace-loving, it's not from God. Would you hear this? Consider it. It's going to put other people ahead of you. That's the wisdom that God's going to give you. It's going to put others first. It's going to be submissive. Well, submissive, what do you mean? Yeah, the wisdom that comes from God, it's got to be above you. It's not your peer. It's above you. And, and you see, we, we submissive that you're crazy. I'm not doing. No, the wisdom from God, you go, okay, uh, he's above me. I get that. It's a willingness to listen to what you don't want to hear. It's so interesting because submissive in our society is not at all seen as a positive. It's seen as a very negative. He goes, no, when it comes from heaven, it's a good thing. Full of mercy. What does that mean? That means you're looking out to give grace to people. You're looking to forgive. You're looking to get beyond this. You're looking to heal. Full of good fruit is the next one. Full of mercy and good fruit. It's obvious that this thing is healthy. It's obvious that this thing is it's merciful. It's impartial. What does that mean? It means you don't enter into it with a pre-made, you don't pre-decide the outcome. You listen and you listen from God and you realize that God's going to give you the truth whether it's what you want to hear or not. It's impartial. He's not going to cater to what you want to do. He's going to listen, and he's going to give you wisdom that sets you on a direction. And then he says it's sincere. What does that mean? It's for real, genuine, without hypocrisy. Now, I want to make sure you see what's happening here. If you want to know how to resolve conflict in your life, ask God. And how am I going to know what God said? Okay, here it is. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. You take that verse, you memorize it, and then you use it as a filter in which you run everything through. Everything through. And if it goes through that filter and it comes out the other side, it's from God. This filter will catch all those things that are about selfish ambition and bitter envy. This filter will catch them. And I just need you to understand, this is exactly what made Abigail, Abigail. Listen to that. That described Abigail. She, she had this incredible way about her. And here's what I need you to understand. And I want to plead with you to hear me out here. We are constantly now living in a world where we don't know what to do because things are coming at us. What is, what is the church doing in the middle of a pandemic? God, guide us. You know what his answer is going to be? His answer is going to be that which is pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. 
What do we do when George Floyd gets killed and the whole world seems to go nuts? What do we do? Hmm. That which is pure, that which is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. What do we do when there's a massive rift between political parties in our country and we're tearing each other apart? God, what, what do we do? The only thing we will do is the wisdom of God played out will be that which is pure, that which is peace-loving, that which is considerate. You get the point. You know what's the tragedy? When we face difficult and hardship, you know the first thing we throw out? That string of pearls. Because we're not going to submit. I'm not going to do what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to convince myself that it was the right thing to do. And the conflicts get bigger. It's basic kindergarten stuff, folks. Go back to last week. It's basic kindergarten stuff. Humility is the process of acquiring wisdom from God. The pathway. This is how he delivers it. Through humility. And then I just, I love this last verse. And if I can say something, it's kind of going to sound totally, like totally cheesy. I cannot read this verse and not think about my wife because this is the heart of my wife. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, every conflict, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? And those are not the same thing. And you've got to be right. You might do something incredibly unrighteous. You want to live a peaceful life? Would you love to live a life minimal conflicts in your life? Would you be willing to die to yourself to attain it? Because there's a wisdom that comes only through humility. I'm going to, I'm going to end right now. I'm going to end with just this thing I, I heard Andy Stanley say. Andy Stanley's a pastor in, in uh, uh, Atlanta, brilliant guy. But he, he was talking about something a lot of pastors can relate to. He was talking about how uh, often um, uh, marriages, you know, strife and conflict, and it's just, you know, at each other. And so you do marriage counseling, and, and uh, uh, in marriage counseling, you get two people in a room, and you go, what's going on? And, and, th- and this is what happens. Uh, she'll say something like this. He'll say something like this. Well, she never. And then he'll say, uh, she always and you start realizing that um, it's always about the other person, but the other person never owns what the other person says they did. So the person who's really at fault is never in the room. They're missing somewhere. And so, you know, Andy tried to figure out what to do with that, and, and he came up with this idea, and I just want to close with this idea. He said, um, I used to then pull out a, uh, a piece of paper, and I would draw a circle on the piece of paper. And he said, this circle represents a pie And all the problems are in this pie. All the chaos is in this pie. All the blame is in this pie. And then he'd hand one of them a pin and he'd say, just slice me off the piece that's your fault. That's your responsibility. And he he, he would say, um, uh, they would always cut a really small piece. And then he'd say this, okay, that little small piece, that's your part in this conflict. Let's just talk about that. Uh, so we're not going to talk about the rest of the pie. We're only going to talk about whatever in this little slice that you've been cut. You, you just says, let's talk about that. And you know what he said? People can't do it. Because it invariably, they want to justify their fault by what the other person did. And then he said this sentence. 
in any relationship, if you can ever get the two parties to own their piece of the pie, you can make progress. But if everybody is focused on the other person's slice of the pie, you will just have chaos. How to have wisdom in conflict? Ask God, be humble. Humility is the process or pathway of acquiring wisdom from God. We could all use some wisdom. Let me pray. So God, we do ask, as we always ask, we cannot live this life right without you. We cannot make all of this stuff happen. God, I pray that you would just help us to see our part in this. Help us to understand what could we do different. God, help us to submit. Help us to listen. Help us to put ourselves under your authority. And God, may we be the kind of people that, well, conflict is inevitable. And broken relationships, uh, tragically, are inevitable. God, could we just have a minimum of those? Because in wisdom, we knew the difference between what the world would tell us to do and what you from heaven would tell us to do. And God, may we always choose what you would tell us to do. And I pray for us in this, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.